0: You listen to reason
1: I'm back! It's been like a month and more than a we month. We missed you. Uh, welcome to the Atheist Experience. We're live. I'm Matt honey Joining me this week, Don Baker. Hey. Good How to the are you?
2: Just fine. Great. I haven't seen you in ages. Yeah, yeah
1: I've been uh, crazy busy. I did uh, an event in Fargo one week, Apostacon in Omaha the next week, then Nacogdoches the week after that. Missed the back cruise for the first time ever, but mm. couldn't, couldn't be helped. Tisk, tisk. And then I went to California and did an entire week hitting Reno, Sacramento, San Jose, Mountain View, Berkeley, and San Francisco before coming home and spending the next week in bed sick.
2: <laughs> the life of a celebrity. I, it's
1: just, it's <laughs> it's so wonderful. I mean, it was kind of this joke, you know, people were like, oh, you know... God's the reason you're sick. He's punishing you. And I keep saying it, no, no, he's no. got terrible aim and timing then because I got everything done. I didn't get sick until after all of these events mm. when I began my, my month of no events. Ah, okay. so And now I'm all better,
2: or mostly all better. Okay, welcome back. How have you been? Just fine, just fine. Uh, I wanted to m- uh, mention that we uh, the ACA has published a voter's guide right. for some of the major races in, in Texas. And what we did is we sent out questionnaires to all of the candidates, and uh, we have 11 questions, and those questions are on our website and such. And the answers that came back, which was uh, 88 out of 453 candidates that we sent it to,
1: Seventy-three, four
2: hundred seventy-three. Four hundred seventy-three. Okay, quite a number. Um, anyway, so you can use that uh, whether you're an atheist or a non-atheist or whatever to to uh, to get some more information about the candidates that are running and and cast a more informed vote, and that was the goal of the of the whole thing. So, uh, and that's available on our website now.
1: And we've done that for years now.
2: Yeah. So this is the third time we've done it. We we skipped we skipped one election cycle, but. Uh, and uh, maybe we'll continue doing that. So we got a good re- a good response rate, and uh, uh, you know we get we get some crazy answers sometimes, and that makes it fun and interesting.
1: You never know what kind of answers you're going to get. So this <laughs> is a live public access television program. The number will be up on the screen for people to call in. We have conversations about what you believe in why, or atheists can call in and ask questions. Although we do have uh, four lines and try to show a preference for theist callers. Um, you know those are generally more interesting, but we can. Have discussions about whatever, but before we get started, Don's got a topic. That I've got a topic. topic. To
2: yet, a, yet another failures of Christianity. All right, uh, this will be number twenty-six. There's uh, that many failures. <laughs> yeah. Do, yeah. You,
1: do you see any end in sight? No, I don't see any. End I inside. didn't think you did.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> so maybe on the fiftieth show and the you know, what, what is it golden App, uh, uh, anniversary, yeah. we'll, I'll list them all just for for entertainment. But uh, you can go look in our archives and see a lot of the shows there. So today uh, the show is on lame rationalizations, and much of apologetics or much of the interaction that uh, atheists have with Christian apologetics is, is script-based in the sense that um, apologists are generally prepared for common and obvious questions uh, based on their assertions, and um, over time their script gets extended and expanded to to cover various things. And, and, and a perfect example of this is is the problem of evil. Which was posed by Epicurus uh, in 300 BC, roughly, and quite a long time ago, and, and essentially it boils down to why would an omnipotent, omniscient, omnibenevolent omnibili- God allow evil? Fine question. Well, the answers to this age-old question have been gathered together, and they're called theodicies, and the answers are, are really lame rationalizations that have gotten some traction over time. They've they've been around a while, and they've they've kind of Gotten to a more elevated status. And one of the theodicies said, Well, God asserts, uh, or one asserts that uh, uh, one of the theodicies asserts that God allows free will so he can play judge, and, and it effectively blames humanity for, for all the evils on the world. Um, and, and God is perfect, and humans are ho- horrible. So there are many problems with this, and I don't want to necessarily go into it. But this whole idea of the script is pretty interesting. And one of the entertaining things to do if you're an atheist is to get the Christians off their script. And uh, this forces them to think about what they're saying instead of just quoting dogmas. And different people will necessarily answer differently, which shows that Christianity and all religions are really not based on an objective truth. They're they're making it up as they go. So here's an example, a non-religious example. In Star Trek, we know that Spock's blood is green, But what color is his earwax? Well, it's not on the script. We don't know. So any answer is necessarily made up and not part of the Star Trek canon, which is not a big deal. Fiction, we know, is necessarily incomplete, and it's fiction, and, you know, it's just something that's missing, okay? And if you provide different answers, it extends the fiction in a a different way. You know, you might have, you know, a, a Star Trek variant that goes off with green earwax and purple earwax, you know, that sort of thing. And that's kind of what's happened to Christianity over the years. So here are some off-the-script questions for, for Christians. Did Adam have a belly button? Okay, and and both answers are, are have problems. How did Adam and Eve have grandchildren without incest? Who made the rule that sin had to be atoned with the blood sacrifice? And who and, and uh, if it was if it wasn't God, then uh, then God's uh, having some trouble with this with this uh, rule maker. Did Jesus was Jesus intentionally or mistakenly killed by God? Both of the answers have, have problems. Does God torture embryos that don't implant? Both answers have problems. Do twins share a soul? Keep in mind that twinning happens after conception. Whatever answer you give there has problems. Would God, why would God create a, such a large universe for the sake of humanity? Atheists are familiar with these sorts of questions because they, they kind of come up, but, uh, but theists generally aren't prepared for them because they're off their script. So what kind of answers do you get? Well, you, you generally get lame rationalizations when you get these, these sorts of questions out or, or any sort of challenging question, and these, these answers tend to be for, poorly thought out, easily destroyed, and, and generally Christians will realize this and try to change the subject. And lame rationalizations can be categorized into three categories. I'm going to mention three categories today. One is assertions, assert a claim about God, a platitude, or intellectual bankruptcy. Well, one type of answer is to assert a claim about God. Well, back to the problem of evil, Uh, Gottfried William von Leibniz, who who was one of the big intellects of that time, asserted that ours was an optimal universe among all the possible worlds, and and that was his lame rationalization. So he asserted that ours was, you know, this, this this is really the best that can possibly be done. So that was him asserting a claim about, you know, what God could do. And Voltaire answered uh, with uh, another leading intellect of that time. Answered with the novella Candide, which was a parody of that claim. And in that book, in that novella, Pangloss, who takes Leibniz's position, rationalizes that syphilis, a new world disease he had contracted, was necess- was a necessary trade for the old world, getting chocolate and cochineal, uh, from which carmine dye-, dye comes from the new world. So. So it's, it's, it's a sad parody that, oh, we're, we got syphilis, but, uh, but it was okay because we got chocolate and this other thing uh, that was, you know, which, which made it okay, and, and that was the best possible world. And, of course, this is, this is just absurd and, and is and silly. And, and so Voltaire was using mockery as a, an effective counterbalance to this lame rationalization that Leibniz came up with. And that's a good way to do it. Today we have a more modern way of doing it, which is Hitchens' razor, Christopher Hitchens. What can be asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. And there's no reason to apologize for that. Just say, you know, I don't, you know, since you don't have any evidence for this claim, I'm going to ignore it. Platitudes are another thing that that you often hear from Christians when when their beliefs are challenged or when they get cornered. And I have a long list of them. um, And most of them are really just like Fingers on a, a chalkboard for atheists. Uh, God helps those that help themselves is 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 one you might hear. And um, and, and and from an atheist perspective, perspective, you do it yourself, but God will gladly gladly steal the credit for it. You hear that God will provide. Well, how about you provide now and let your God reimburse you later. You know, let's let's let's, let's you know make the accounting work out properly for everybody. <clears throat> God will never give you more than you can handle. Um, or if if God does give them more than they can handle, he's in a better place now. (laughs) It's a test. It's a test, right. Yeah, that's another one. Yeah, God's testing you. Whatever God doesn't kill you with makes you stronger. Right, right. Let go and let God. Jesus died for your sins. Everything happens for a reason. God works in mysterious ways. That's my personal favorite, which is basically a a complete cop-out. I can't make sense of your crazy religious claims either. Uh, ask and ye shall receive. There's, there's a whole bunch of these that you'll hear and, and they're, they're really, if you unpack them, you'll find that they're, they're lame rationalizations. They, they, they uh, even, even a lot of Christians, uh, kind of, uh, don't want people to use them. Another category of answer you're gonna get is in, intellectual bankruptcy and, and this happens when people get cornered and they often just resort to this to get out of the argument. And they'll say things like, well, with God all things are possible, which is really, uh, which is really an intellectual cop out, saying that uh, that, you, 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 that that your universe is, is so fungible and flexible that that, uh, that uh, there's that there's really no rules anymore except for for what you think your God's going to do. Uh, there's another one: God said it, I believe it, and uh, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. You've heard that a lot too. Um, so both of these are statements made by someone who has abandoned reason and evidence and, and who's kind of given up on the, 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 the reality. Um, another one you hear commonly is you just got to have faith. And, uh, of course, faith is nothing more than a good way to be wrong. It's tantamount it's, it's to gullibility as far as I'm concerned. So generally, the, when you hear people saying these things, they're clues that they've drunk too much of the Kool-Aid, and you can't waste too much time to get get them to see the light. So you might w- want to turn your attention elsewhere. So in conclusion, it's relatively easy to get Christians off the script, and that's the way to that's the way to argue with them because uh, it forces them to think. And if they give you lame op- rationalizations, well, they're lame because they show little or no, little or no thought, and their rationalizations because they're clearly made up by people to compensate. For a god that isn't there to help them, and these demonstrations, there's, these demonstrate that there's little objective truth to the religion and only a collection of stories and ossified dogma, and this is yet another failure of Christianity. So that was it for today. Woo. Okay.
1: I have a feeling we'll uh, we'll be addressing this uh, further. Yeah, call in with your
2: favorite on. lamer rationalizations. That'd be that'd be fun.
1: Cool. Well, we'll go ahead and uh, get started with calls. As a reminder, once the show's over, those of us, some of us involved with the show get together and go to dinner at El Arroyo. They'll have the number up on the screen. We just lost our monitor Uh entirely. But we'll go ahead and uh, start off with, it looks like Ghoul in Omaha. Oh, it came back. Yeah, am I on? You're on. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. How are you? I'm all
3: right. Um, I don't know what information it says about me right there for you, but... Uh, I'm calling as an atheist. I don't necessarily have anything to challenge you guys with, but I would, I'm would. i calling to get a better understanding of one of Matt's positions. Okay. Uh, specifically, when you get Christians that call in, and they'll tell you X or Y is immoral, and then you ask why, and they say because the Bible says so. And then uh, one of the arguments you might use is... Uh, You'll point out some strange Old Testament law, like stoning to death a disobedient child or something, and ask if that's morally correct. And then uh, they face some cognitive dissonance because their communities don't really address those old laws and morals.
1: Yeah, they've, had, then, they, um, they've had to come up with lame rationalizations to simultaneously <laughs> yeah. claim that their book is giving good moral advice when they know better.
3: Yeah. Um, and then it's typically followed by an explanation of why. Uh, you would say that, uh, you, that you personally and the, both you personally and the Christian calling are both morally superior to the character that is God.
1: Yes, and they, they and already know this, which is why they're doing the rationalization. That's why they're in that state of cognitive dissonance.
3: I was, wanting, I wanting to get a better understanding of that, about how you really define morality. I heard you on another, uh, on another show say that, uh, uh, you get your morals from a rational consideration of the consequences of your actions is, I think, what you yes. said. And if that's the case, I'm wondering, uh, in a, a hypothetical where someone uh, murders in secret or steals in secret and there is no consequences that he had premeditated and therefore went through with the action, I'm wondering if that would be an immoral action.
1: Well, there were consequences. Somebody's dead.
3: Right, but is it, it? Would you say that that's a demonstrably negative consequence because it um, um, because it decreases the standard of living?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, if, we, if more, I, I've said before, if morality is about anything, it's about well-being. Um, and so, in this case, you know, where somebody murdered someone in secret, um, the person that they've murdered, mm-hmm. uh, their, their well-being doesn't exist anymore. It was taken away and completely destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, part of this is about you know what kind of society uh, actually uh, benefits us. So, that my my foundation for m- making moral pronouncements or moral reaching moral conclusions is rooted entirely in reality, because the mm. physical reality we inhabit dictates facts about what is in our best interest and what's not in our best interest. And it is also this physical reality that dictates the consequences of our actions. And so when you compare the consequences of actions with, uh, you know, whether or not they improve or diminish well-being, that's where you get in the conflict. And the the ones that diminish, we tend to label as immoral, and the ones that improve, we label as moral.
3: So in, in in the hypothetical where the Christian God character is real, then... Uh, if we're measuring a, a, a standard of living by an option of salvation or an option of damnation, wouldn't the option at that point be salvation in this hypothetical? Well, how,
2: how do you even compute that stuff? What's what's the, what's the value of salvation? Is it an infinite thing? Yeah,
1: uh, I
3: mean, but, I, I, I don't. Uh, I mean,
2: first of all, I, I guess it's the. A... First of all, decision theory
1: breaks down when you start plugging in infinites. But um, to me, this idea that. Uh, th- this sounds very much like an ends justify the means thing. It- it's quite often, you know, this idea that, well, you can't judge God because he knows better than us. Um, and he knows that this is actually in our best interest long term when it comes to salvation or damnation. Prove it. Um, and yeah, then the response <laughs> is prove it. Because first of all, if God made us and he made us incapable of understanding his motivations, uh, then that's God's problem, not ours. And second of all, if he did make us and we are capable of understanding them, then clearly we're in conflict because the biblical representation of God encourages all sorts of immoral actions, including you know, stoning kids and um, forcing women to marry the, the rapist and slavery. And we know these things are not in our best interest. And so then the lame rationalization, as Don has pointed out, is that, oh, it's not in your best interest in this life, but there's another life. And this is somehow in the best interest of this other life. Now, I think that's absolutely ridiculous. If there was an afterlife in which uh, the only way to get to this afterlife was for God to endorse slavery and force people to marry their rapists, um, then he's created a flawed system and is rather an idiot. Um, mm. but, but this lame rationalization that we need to be concerned about another life is one, as Don said, very succinctly, prove it. Uh, because I'm concerned with this life, the one and only life that I know we're going to get, and uh, not with any other until there's someone who can give me a reason to consider some other life. Mm.
3: And I would, I would be in agreement. But so I'm, I'm just saying hypothetically and logically speaking, if you know, I don't believe by any means that the that the character is real. I'm just saying uh, if the character was real, yep. And if we, and if we are measuring uh, morality by. Um, standard of livings, or, you know, what what increases well-being and decreases well-being, and we're faced between um, a salvation and damnation.
1: Then you would pull an Andrea Yates and kill your kids before they could possibly sin and risk hell, thereby guaranteeing that they're going to go to heaven. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's yet another example of why these doctrines are immoral, because until somebody demonstrates that they're true... They can, those sorts of actions could not possibly be considered moral. And even if someone demonstrates that the afterlife stuff is true, which I think is one of the most dead concepts within Christianity and any other religion, based on what we know about the brain versus the claims about the soul. But even if it were true, that still doesn't mean that it's moral to do this. Um, you'd have to you, you would have to then begin making moral assessments based on an entirely new foundation. Um, And so until somebody demonstrates that there's a reason to do that, I don't see why we should. Right. All right. Well, I think that
3: answer will suffice.
1: Cool. Thanks for calling. Thanks for having me. Sure. All right. We've got uh, – I lost my cursor there. There we go. Uh, Peter in New York, thanks for waiting. Thank you. You're Um, you're on the air. uh,
4: Am I on li- I'm sorry. This is the first time I've done this. I'm really sorry. Right. Am I yep. on? Li- can I you're you're, you're on live.
1: You're on live. What do you got for us?
4: Oh, cool. Okay, so um, I'm a theist, and I just wanted to uh, today present um, the evolutionary argument against naturalism. See how you guys would respond. Um, uh, so I'm not. You've heard of it before. Uh, sure. or Which version you've heard of it? Um,
1: uh,
4: but I can run it by you real quick. So the idea is that
1: um, uh, hey, If, if you're an atheist.
4: Peter? Oh, sorry. Go
1: ahead. Yes. No, I, I'm just warning you in advance because some people consider this rude. It's very likely that you'll get interrupted at some point, and it's only because uh, we have a tradition where if we let someone present an entire argument and then try to go back to the beginning, to the first point of objection, or the point where we need a definition, it often gets confusing. So there's a good chance that you'll be interrupted to provide clarification or to say, you know, I reject this particular premise, and that means that there's not much reason to continue. But by all means, go ahead.
4: Oh, yeah, it makes total sense. Uh, I was sort of a philosopher in undergrad, so I totally understand the need for definitions, and
1: um,
4: so, yeah, yeah, it sounds good. Um, so, to sort of the argument, so the argument is, I'll just do an overview of what it is, and I can present it rather quickly, but here's just a quick overview of what it seems to show. What it seems to show is that if you're an atheist, and if you consider the conjunction of evolution and naturalism, uh, naturalism being defined as uh, a belief system in which, uh, all there is is matter, the physical world, or even a, a more rigorous way, might like they say, things that have uh, measurable properties um, that are measurable in terms of being public information that uh, would be amenable to some instrument measuring their value. Uh, so that would be public properties or, even all, all the properties that exist. you think that all those things that exist are, are those and that then you're a naturalist. Um, and I think most athe- most, athe- most atheists are naturalists. Um mm-hmm. so I'm kind of grouping the two together in the sense. I know you could so in theory let me just so, say right so, from the outset. So for
1: clarity um, for for clarity, um there's two different connotations of naturalism. There's philosophical naturalism, which is the philosophical belief that the natural world is all there is. And then there's methodological naturalism, which is what science relies on, which recognizes that science is blocked from investigating or confirming non-natural causes, and it's not an assertion that the natural is all that exists. It's a recognition that the natural is all we can investigate. And so, while I can't speak for most atheists, um, I, I am... Probably a naturalist under both categories, but I'm not in any way asserting that the supernatural doesn't exist. My position is that the supernatural hasn't been demonstrated to exist, and that it may be the case that we can never confirm the existence of the supernatural, which is why science and myself and others tend to vie for methodological naturalism.
4: Yeah, I mean, yeah, as far as science is concerned, I think you need to have methodological naturalism. Uh, With respect to the question of I'm sort of a philosophical naturalist and sort of um, uh, uh, a naturalist uh, sort of realism about the uh, external world. Um, I think most uh, atheists do fall in the category of of being asserting the position that, um, that at least, here's here's how I'm it that uh, in in sort of a way of uh, what we know is inference to the best explanation, that right now, given all the knowledge we have, the best explanation of what we see around us is that there is nothing beyond the natural world, and induction would tell us that the things that we find surprising that don't jive with the rest of what we know about the natural world will be explained at some point. Is that well, fair? Well,
1: no, not necessarily, because first of all, th- there's, no, there's no position that necess- necessarily says that this will be explained at some point. It's just, you know, there, nobody's claiming, oh, we're eventually going to have an explanation for everything and it's all going to be natural. That's that's not the case. So, it, I mean, most of the most of the scientists, most of the philosophers, and most atheists I talk to recognize that there may, in fact, be many things um, that we're never going to have an explanation for, or at least not a satisfactory explanation. Uh, in part because the barrier of time travel into the past, at a minimum, um, and because the universe is constantly changing. But alongside of this, I think it's a mistake to say most atheists are X because atheism. Tells you nothing except that they don't believe in a god. There are plenty of atheists, to my in- increasing disappointment, who buy into all sorts of supernatural, woo, magical thinking crap. So it's not—it's not that just this idea that atheists are naturalists. Atheists are people who don't believe that a god exists, and I, I think it's a little bit of a mistake to conflate the two. There's a big overlap, but yeah, there's no, there uh, there probably I, I a heard, big overlap. I hear what you're
4: saying. Um- I would just say, uh, rather quickly, I'll say two things. One is that um, uh, I think most atheists would fall into that category. I'm I not mean, I data on that. I don't know if you have data on that. I haven't taken a survey. No. So, so let's I, let's, I let's, let's not do. do yeah, yet, let's not
1: do the thing of I think most blah blah right, blah. Just exactly. make make the case. I'm
4: not in the,
1: yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Just just make the case, and we'll we'll address. Yeah, tell, it. tell us what this
2: has to do with evolution.
4: <laughs> right. Yeah, so I was going to say, uh, given that point that you just made, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rephrase the argument so that it doesn't need that. Now I'm going to rephrase the argument so that um, all you have to believe is that there was no intelligent process guiding evolution. Uh, take the conjunction of atheism. I you don't even really need atheism. I just believe that there was no intelligent process guiding evolution, and that's all I need. So, so, uh, so I think most atheists are so in the bad one, one,
1: category, right? I would say that most atheists are probably in the position, uh, or most people who accept evolution are almost certainly in the position where they do not believe that there was an intelligent process guiding it. Uh, I don't know how many of them would assert that there was no intelligent. And there's a difference between not accepting something and uh, accepting the contrary.
4: Right, exactly. You could be uh, in the position of. Uh... Uh, suspending what we call it, suspending judgment, right? There's three dispositions you can have towards a given proposition. Um, so, but I think most, rather the majority of atheists would affirm that. In fact, I think it's kind of built into the definition of atheist that you believe it. And,
1: and I and I think that's wrong too, because there's two positions against a specific proposition. What you're what you're actually doing is looking at two propositions in that case. One is the proposition that a god did intervene, and the other one is a proposition that no gods intervened. And no, so, for I each of those, for, for, I, I, for I didn't say for, God. I said some intelligent. I don't. Business. I don't care. Okay, fine. I don't care. Intelligent designer. Those okay. are two separate propositions. One of them is that no intelligent designer intervened, and the other one is that an intelligent designer did intervene. And for each of those propositions, there are two possible positions of either accepting it or rejecting it. And it's possible to reject both. But there's not three positions for one proposition.
4: No. For any. For any. I can give you an example. Um, so suppose you flip a coin, right? Um, you can either, before you flip it, um, you might have. You could, there's, there's a proposition of the proposition the coin will come up heads. Is a proposition. That's a proposition.
1: You either accept that or you or not. The, there's no middle no, ground. No,
4: but no, but just be no there over in the ground. No, that there's that, not. You, you know, either not.
1: accept the proposition or you don't accept the proposition.
4: Oh, right, yeah, no, oh, I didn't know that's what you were, well, if you're, what you're saying is you either accept it or you don't accept
1: it. Yes, those yes, are.
4: Well, that is, well, that itself is a proposition from law of the excluded middle, you get that right. either it's right. That you accept it or that you don't accept it. Cool. What, what I would say is just to clarify, um, just, to, just to clarify exactly what that means. That means that you could affirm, yes, it will be heads, you could affirm, I believe it is, I believe it will turn up not heads, which that, is cows. That, 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 you
1: that say is, not, that,
0: you say, that, is not,
1: what, that is not, that is not, that is not. If the proposition is the coin will land heads, you either accept that or you reject it. You have now included the second proposition that I was talking about, which is that the coin will not land heads, and you can either accept or reject that proposition. This is what I'm talking about, about conflating propositions. For a single proposition, you either accept it or or you don't. Those are direct logical negations. You either accept or you don't. Not accepting the proposition does not mean that you accept the contrary.
4: Sorry, I mean, I guess this, I, we're just. I, I'm, I'm splitting up not accepting it into the duality of affirming the negation and not affirming the negation. Do you agree that those two possibilities exist? Yes, but but, but now you're talking about. You affirm the negation or not affirm the negation, right?
1: Yes, I understand that along with not accepting this proposition means that you could have one of two positions on the contrary. Right. But that's yeah, not. That's now, now, right. now, now, Peter, now we're back to what I said, which is that is trying to simultaneously address two propositions, and we don't do that. We need to address a single proposition. But can we get past the, like, logic 101 thing to the actual argument?
4: Right. um, People use different terminology for what they mean by this. So, I mean, I'm used to hearing it in in terms of three parts because most people... Like most people will, when they come to a proposition, because of well, honestly, I don't care
1: about most people, Peter. Oh, I want to hear. I want to hear sorry. the argument because oh, sorry, most sorry, people sorry. are sorry. wrong about arguments, and most people <laughs> couldn't process an argument if it walked in here with instructions on how to process the argument.
4: Okay. Yeah. I just want to be clear on. Just want to be clear on the uh, what, I, what i mean when I when I say. I got All you. Right, anyway. Um, so continuing with the argument. So most atheists would um, be of the position would believe that. Um, it was not the case that, uh, some intelligence, <laughs> is more likely than not. And like you're, you're asserting
2: we are. believe something, and then if we assert we believe something, then we have to, we the bearer of the burden of proof. You just, you just and, ignored it. And this everything. whole thing sounds to me like a big trying to shove the burden of proof onto, onto atheists. No, 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 no. I'm not trying to shove okay. the
4: burden of No, no, no. <laughs> you're misunderstanding the argument. So, so, so let me rephrase argument.
1: your first premise, even though, and we'll, we'll drop mm-hmm. the most atheists, and we'll say those people who hold that evolution, or who do not accept the proposition that evolution was guided by an intelligence. There you go. Continue.
4: Yeah, all right. So yeah, so most of you, so consider the, uh, I'll I'll rephrase it. Consider the those people who believe that it is the most probable explanation that Evolution was not guided by some intelligent force.
1: Well, now you're, right. back, you're back to asserting the contrary instead of just rejecting the proposition that it was, which is what I pointed out three times now. Can, it, it, let's just take that initial premise and rephrase it so that if one does not believe evolution was guided by an intelligent designer, then what?
4: Right, I'm saying yeah. I'm saying consider the set of those people who who, who affirm the proposition that it was not the. And I'm, I'm not saying that you're, you're, you're I'm, back I'm, to that. You're, you're, to Peter. Peter,
1: you're back to you're back to considering those people who affirm that, and you're not even necessarily talking to those people who do. This is why I'm saying that the first premise needs to be: if one does not accept that evolution was guided by an intelligence, then.
4: Enough, I mean sure because, I mean I think there's a slight semantic difference there but sure you can rephrase it the same way it's not um, just a saying. semantic
1: difference it completely shifts the burden of proof which is what Don was talking about but go ahead
4: uh sure if you think if, if you do I mean if, uh yeah so if you do not accept that uh you know there was some uh intelligence that guided it you're going to be led you you'll have a logical pathway to believing uh believing that it's more likely to you uh, have good reason to believe that your cognitive faculties are unreliable that's not that's how the argument works
1: Our cognitive
2: faculties uh, are... nobody has ever asserted that humans are, are reliable as far as so so this this I agree with your point so there's two things here. Humans are fallible.
1: It depends on what you mean by whether or not the cognitive processes are reliable. In the colloquial sense, we already know that our cognitive processes are in fact unreliable, and we're so good at it that we can test to find out how reliable they are. And if what you're getting at is that this is also an application of our cognitive faculties, that there's a regress here, that the only way to assess these is through our faculties, um, then I agree with you, there's a regress. And we have to presuppose a few things. We have to presuppose that we are experiencing the reality that we appear to experience, that our senses are providing somewhat reasonable information, and that the foundations of logic, the laws of identity, non-contradiction, excluded middle, are true. Now, those are all presuppositions. They're not... Yeah,
4: I, I agree with that, and I think you agree with that. I'm assuming we'll all agree on that.
1: Right? Yes. Yes. Okay, yeah. So what's right, the good, problem? Good.
4: Um, so what, what else, let what me uh, define what I mean by cogn- cognitive faculties being reliable. And what I mean is that we can, is that for the most part, that they're capable, they're efficacious of, of producing true beliefs, that they have the capacity within them so that when so we you, use them and apply them,
1: you, ha- uh, you have a problem already. Not. You have a problem already with true beliefs. Um, and it's far better to say that our cognitive faculties produce reliable, useful, accurate information that appears to be correct and benefits us. And as soon as we find out that that's not the case, then we change those presuppositions. So we use those presuppositions just as long as they keep working and keep producing results. But we live in a universe where we're not making proclamations about absolute truth. We deal in probabilities. We deal in likelihoods. Um, Absolute certainty is, is, as far as I can tell, uh, not possible. Um, and not particularly relevant, my battery's running low.
0: Um, Is this
1: power strip not on?
0: Yeah,
4: well, I mean, if, I mean depending on the way you, I'm not sure, I, I'm going to have to ask you to clarify in a second, but depending on how you mean that, um, it might be pointless to run the argument then, because yep. uh, if you believe, if you're not a realist about sort of the beliefs we produce in the sense that you believe that the things that we come to think actually are the case, like, if you, if you believe that we just are creating models, we don't really know what's out there, but whatever, we're just dealing with whatever's out there. You're not asserting, hey, it's real. It's, it might not be real. Maybe it's not real. We just know that we're operating with what seems to allow us to get by. Then, I would, then, then there's no argument to run uh, at all well, because the, the, uh, there's no you argu- might not be a realist. There's no, was,
1: uh, there's no argument to run if your position is contingent upon absolute certainty. Am I convinced that my internal model of reality actually maps to the reality that I experience? Yes. Do I believe this to be the case? Yes. Do I know this to be the case? Yes. Provided we're not requiring absolute certainty in order to make a claim of no, knowledge, I'm
4: not requiring absolute certainty. Uh, okay. Saying, then, right, then there's no
1: problem here.
4: Well, actually, well, well, we, I think I can run the argument because I think you said that you are convinced that what you seem to experience corresponds to the way things actually are.
1: Yes, I and am. Even, I am convinced. I am convinced that that I. These are the presuppositions that we begin with, and I'm convinced that they are accurate. So what?
0: Right, so
4: you're convinced that, yeah, right, you are convinced that they're accurate. But I'm saying, if you follow this argument, you'll have a good reason for thinking they're not accurate, and that's what creates the contradiction.
1: No, no, because the only way to get to the, well, all right, you can try so to, you, so how you would you demonstrate that they're not accurate?
4: Right, exactly, that's why, so that's the whole point, it's a, it's a reductio ad absurdum argument. Yeah, I'm which saying, would
1: require a, a hidden absolute certainty in there, but go ahead.
4: I'll, 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 I'll continue the argument, you can stop me whenever you want, Um I mean sure so, uh, but uh, I, uh, so the way the argument works is that, um, so given evolution being unguided, like if we assume, so we're assuming for the sake of contradiction that evolution was unguided. That's the first premise. Assume for the sake of contradiction sure. that evolution is unguided. Uh, sure. Okay. So, uh, now, uh, uh, now when we consider our beliefs, uh, if you're a naturalist, uh, if, if you are a naturalist, You believe that your beliefs aren't like um, uh, aren't um, formed by like some soul or some spirit or something that's inside. You would think that it came it came about by your your parts. The parts that constitute your body in some way or another are what's causing your beliefs. The interactions between your neurophysiology, the interactions between sure uh, we can
1: just we can just sum it up that every concept is is. uh appears to be a brain state that doesn't have an, uh, any kind of supernatural cause, that it's a natural process that my brain does.
4: Right, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so that, right. So these, were, these are the things that were formed over time by uh, the process of evolution and natural selection.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, and the idea here is that
0: um,
4: as evolution works, it selects for beliefs that are adaptive, but not for beliefs that are true or, for, or false.
2: That's for correct. That
4: are adaptive to survival. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, whatever's going to help you survive uh, is essentially what's going to be selected for. So, so let me um, I,
1: let me let me ask you this, Peter. Are you more likely to survive if your internal model matches reality than if it doesn't?
4: Uh, no, yeah, this is the key point of the argument, and the answer is that uh, it seems, when you really reflect on it, that it's uh,
1: that it's that it's equally probable. Or, or it's equally it's probable. Possible. So the person. So I, hang no, on, I, Peter. Hang on, Peter. How can it, I don't know how we've gotten to the mathematical portion where we've determined equal probability, but it just in, in, as a matter of speculation, if I believe that there's not a car barreling down the street at me and I'm wrong, I'm dead. Right. And if well, I believe that there is a car barreling down the street at me, I have the ability to get out of the way. So it seems to me that you can't say that that inaccuracy is equally likely to produce Positive results. It's
4: not. This is an ad hoc. I have an argument for this. Sorry. I have an. This is not an ad hoc assertion. I have an argument for this. Okay.
1: I, okay, I so thought I just honest. gave you one that you didn't respond to. But oh, go do ahead. You
4: to, do you want me to address your example? Should I address your example? Yes. Okay. So this is how I would just using. So obviously, so if you know, so there's so there's a car right that's coming at you. You could be of the belief that uh, this car exists. I better get out of the way. The car actually does exist, and that true belief is going to help you get out of the way. Okay. Uh, or you could be of the false belief that uh, you that uh, getting hit by a car will give you a million dollars, right? Let's say you believe that. So you would want to get hit by a car. But So you've, you you've already changed and, what
1: the premise is, but go ahead. No,
4: no, no. no, no, no. I, I'm going to explain. So, so you believe that if you get hit by a car, you'll get a million dollars. But if you get hit by an even faster car, you'll get hit by uh, – you'll get, you'll get even more money. So when you see this car, you think, oh, I could probably get hit by a faster car. And so you have the belief that the faster you get away from a car, the more money you'll get. So now you run away faster and you're more adept to survive than the person who believes there's an actual real car coming at him. Yeah, because but you know, see, <laughs> you've
1: completely, you've completely changed my premise. This is, this is the post hoc rationalizations that are in here. My, my thing is not that, not that it's not possible for people to have false beliefs that are beneficial. I'm talking about, I'm walking out into the street. Two people are, are, are getting ready to cross the street from opposite sides of the street. One of them believes a car is coming down the street at a high rate of speed, and the other one does not believe that a car is coming down the street. Mm. They don't see the car. Their map, of, their internal map of reality does not include the car. Which of those is more likely to wind up dead? Uh, it, you, I mean, you can't,
4: but you're leaving, this is, can, I, can I just address the problem in the example? Um, I mean it's almost the, like a wait uh, so you're gonna your you're life gonna life. say there's a, like a problem
1: a, you're gonna say there's a problem with my example which addresses a discrete proposition that a car is coming and instead you're going to offer me examples that go back to what we were talking about before where instead of addressing a single premise, you're addressing multiples. I don't, but
4: the problem here is just that the conjunction of your cognitive faculties includes more than a single premise. so when you're acting, your here in your example, you're, you're you're kind of assuming that there's only one premise that I'm considering. When I'm considering a whole space of premises, and my I, my point is that when we consider the premises that are going to be beneficial or not beneficial in terms of your ability to survive, that there's a countably infinite set. Of Peter, com- maybe even a, no, Peter, yes, a countably infinite.
1: I've set I've How many ways are there to be wrong, too? By the way, Peter, I've <laughs> already acknowledged that one could have virtually infinitely many delusions which don't, re, which don't result in one actually ending up dead. Right. But one could also have infinitely many delusions that also, as Don was pointing out, do not result in you dying. So let's. all I'm talking about is whether or not the internal map of reality matches reality. And you're talking about a variety of different alternate views that might produce the same thing. Well, that's why I did the specific example that I did. Because the simple fact is, if the two of us are in this position, me and Don are standing side by side along the edge of a, of, a, of a forest, and I am convinced that I see a tiger, and Don does not see the tiger, and I run away. Now, there's two possibilities. Either a tiger is there, or there was no tiger there. If there was a tiger there, then I live with my correct belief and Don will probably die with his incorrect belief. If there's not thing if there's if there's, thing if, if there's can... if there's if there's not a tiger there, then we will both live. That is a complete admission of your point that Don's correct belief and my false belief can both lead to you living. I'm talking about the discrete situations where your map of reality if 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 your map of reality was completely accurate, if in fact, every belief in your head mapped to reality exactly, are you more likely to make correct decisions about reality than someone who has merely one thing wrong?
4: Than someone who has merely one thing wrong. Well- Sure,
1: sure, hang on. Hang on, Peter, hang on, because I want to make this simple. Let's say there are only 1,000 facts about reality, that that's it. Uh-huh. And I have all 1,000 of them correct. And Don has 999 of them correct. And Ben has 500 of them correct. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> and you have five of them correct. Do you think it's unreasonable that we could say that the five, the 500, the 999, and the 1,000 are also Pretty much representations of how likely they are to make good decisions about reality.
4: I say I would say that that answer would be contingent upon how those beliefs came about. No, no, came no, about, no, no, can no,
1: no, why? Can I no, no, why? no, 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 Peter, that's completely false. But
0: can I explain you, why? That's true. It's, it's I have not. A argument for that.
1: Please tell me why that's true so I can once again I, tell you it's false. I'll, I'll
4: explain why I think it's true. I, I, and I, 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 I'm very curious to hear why you would think it's false. After because because the true.
1: truth of a proposition is not in any way pa- impacted by how you arrived at it. Don, no. could, Don could flip a coin right now, and I could be convinced that Pixies told me it's heads, and I could be right. But the reason why I was right is completely irrelevant as to whether or not I'm actually right. Yes,
4: no, yes, yeah, exactly, yes, I agree, well, on that I agree. Good, um, then I'm, you just agreed in, with my point. No, I didn't agree with your point, and this is why. Can I explain why I didn't agree with your point? The, Go the for I it. Did, the reason why I didn't agree with your point is because if you consider that we both came about, like, assuming that we both came about by some means that made our beliefs beneficial to our survival, then I would believe that whatever set of false beliefs I have are also beneficial to my survival. And because for any separate, you could... Consider some set of true propositions that help me survive. I can come up with another set of false propositions that not only help me survive, but help me survive better. And by taking away a true proposition from the set, I could be at a position where I'm less able to survive if all the other propositions in the set are true and I'm missing one. So and, that's why I thought your car example was faulty, because we, you were to that we had you're the doing, same Peter. propositions and that I was missing one. In which case, you're right. Listen to what you're if, doing. if I'm missing one and I have a false one that's better, I'll be, I'll be more apt to
1: survive. Listen, listen to what you're doing. You're basically saying that it, it doesn't matter whether you are correct or not about reality that that there is in fact no benefit to being correct about reality and it may in fact be in your b- best interest to be wrong about reality that is the position you are now advocating yes okay goodbye we're done <laughs> um, that is that is patently absurd i think it but is i, I think it is yet. i, I think it is argument. a complete i think it is a lie i think it is but i you an argument i think it is you know what it doesn't matter i think it is completely dishonest on your part because you're not willing to 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 consider the discrete examples, you're not even willing to acknowledge that the the example of, of narrowing it down to a thousand facts about reality, you think the person that only has five of them right, is likely to make better decisions about the reality. You but want I, to? No, I did
4: not say that. I did not you, say I said Your entire position, Peter, it's your it's entire
1: it's position that you summarized afterwards is that it could be in your best interest to be more wrong.
4: It could be, depending on yes, if, you're, if, false, if the false beliefs are such that you have a better adaptive trait, evolution guarantees you'll be
1: wrong. That's only true if you consider one specific example and all the possible fictions that could lead you away. But you're not. You're ignoring what those fictions can lead you to. This is the gambler's fallacy. This is this is the expectation that you're due. you you are ignoring all the potential consequences of those false beliefs in order to assert for that specific situation that they lead to truth. And I'm talking about whose view of reality is more likely to consistently lead them to correct conclusions. The one whose internal map of reality accurately maps or the one whose internal map does not react, does not map. Can I
4: just address that real
1: quick? Can I just say? I doubt it, but go ahead.
4: Anybody who has a perfect map of reality, right?
1: What? Um, what?
4: Cons- I just consider someone as has a perfect map of reality, okay. right? Um, now, that's going to influence their behaviors in certain ways. Yes. Because they're going to say, based on this map, I, uh, I might do this, I might do that. Yes. Um, uh, and and that's going to, you know, lead them to uh, to having an outcome. But you can have a false map of reality. But for every action that you take, having that true map of reality... You yes. can construct a set of false beliefs that leads to the same actions, such that they're identical.
1: But if you maintain um, those false beliefs, you are ignoring the consequences of those false beliefs in other scenarios.
4: No, but you're assuming that they would happen. There's true beliefs that could lead me to get eaten by a tiger as well in, in other scenarios. Obviously, if you have the true belief that you'll get eaten, that one particular true belief, then you're not going to get eaten. But there's an, a huge set of other true beliefs you could have that would cause you to get eaten. You're assuming that true beliefs are always going to help you out, but they're not. In the same way that you can construct a set of false beliefs that lead you astray, you can construct a set of true beliefs that lead you astray. You just like to focus on the true beliefs that you You can construct a set of true beliefs, astray, and you're ignoring the whole other you, space of true beliefs. So are you that saying God's you a, a fuck up
2: because he's omniscient?
0: Say that
2: again? <laughs> God, you're saying You're saying God, if God's omniscient, and has all the true beliefs, then you're saying he can't possibly do anything right. Is is that kind of what you're saying?
4: No, well, I, I didn't even mention God. I didn't. I haven't mentioned God in this whole discussion. Um, but sure. Okay. Well,
2: let, let's assume that God has omniscience. Okay. Um, are, are you saying that that's not a desirable trait? No, I, I
4: think omniscience is a good thing because okay, because it helps
2: you make the right decisions, right?
4: Well, I mean, it guarantees in, in a in a solid way that your decisions are rational. It guarantees that, um, well, not that your decisions are rational. I guess I guess it depends on the person, some other things, but it does guarantee at least that you'll have true beliefs about uh, what and. It is
1: and, and, what and why it, you know? would you want true beliefs? See what? Why would you want true beliefs? Why would you want? I mean, I think. That, I mean, well, I can answer. I mean, I think there's
4: an intrinsic an intrinsic thing. I think there's something intrinsic about. Uh, uh, knowing the truth, I think we all sort of have an in, in, intrinsic desire.
1: No, I'm, I'm asking why would you you, you portray omniscience as desirable because it means that you have true beliefs, and I'm asking why do you think true beliefs are desirable? Uh, uh,
4: why do I think true beliefs are desirable? I mean, I mean, it, I mean, it just. It just it, it connects you to your world, I guess. I guess. You
1: Thank you. That's what I've been saying for 15 freaking minutes, and you've been arguing the exact opposite. Peter, we've had you on long enough. I appreciate the call. You are welcome to call back another time. I'm sorry you backed yourself into a corner, but that's the way it goes sometimes, and there's other people waiting. If you cannot, this is this is one of the things that, that the lame rationalizations that people do on behalf of religion. They're wanting to find a target anywhere they can, and they are willing to think themselves into knots and ignore the very obvious, clear ramifications that they will then admit under another context. So, thank you, Don, for oh, getting well, him. I actually I had another
2: way to short circuit this thing, but but it was entertaining. But, <laughs> yeah, it was
1: fun. All right. So we got Eric in Indianapolis. Thank you for waiting. Are you there, Eric? If you're there, I can't hear you. And I really wanted to address your question. All right, so we'll do Eric's question offline. How do you respond to people who say that appealing to science is an appeal to authority? Um, Well, it is. But appeal to authority... Is a fallacy, but that doesn't mean that citing an authority is necessarily fallacious. The appeal to authority fallacy is saying that something is correct because an authority said so. Yep. And we don't do that in science. We don't say that because Jerry Coyne said this and he's a scientist, it's necessarily true. What we do is recognize that he has an expertise in biology and that he's published peer-reviewed papers and that the scientific consensus leads us to the conclusion that this is the most reasonable, most probable explanation for the facts. We're not asserting absolute truth and we're definitely not asserting that it's true because person X said it despite their credentials. There's another type of argument to authority that is also fallacious which is the appeal to an insufficient authority which is like nine out of ten doctors say that you know the Braves are the best team in baseball. so what? Where, th- where their expertise has absolutely nothing yeah. to do with it
2: so let me, let me also add uh, you know we have we have this science, this body of work that people are doing that are very smart people, and we don 't necessarily understand everything they 're doing but but there are technologies created from that science that benefit humanity and and those technologies work, and those technologies benefit the world and they, they make things better, and we 're using them every day yeah. and and that is the fruit of science and and you know it's this is the, a, the old thing of uh, you know science flies you to the moon and religion flies you into, air, into, into buildings sort of thing. This is exactly the same
1: as what I was talking about with the presuppositions that we make. We have to presuppose these because absolute certainty appears to be out of our reach. Don and I have had long discussions about this, and by the way, um, I have I have altered my position some, which we can oh, discuss. Oh, we some. can talk about that. Yes, um, offline though. Yeah, not here. <laughs> but uh, I, I was wrong. <gasps> <laughs> and you were right. Okay, <laughs> 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 but we can talk about that more later. All right, but uh, this this idea that we accept certain presuppositions in order to get by isn't just some arbitrary thing that we do. It's not like we said, "Oh, we're going to arbitrarily think that left is right and right is left." Uh, this is about which set of presuppositions, which set of guiding principles, both with regard to philosophy and the foundations of logical absolutes and the and the primacy of reality and the reliability of our senses and it, within science the methodology of testing of attempting to falsify things these are continued to be used because they are the single most reliable methods for producing good and accurate or what appears to be good and accurate information about reality they are consistently reliable and when we find that they break Like if the laws of physics in the universe were to change suddenly, then we toss them out and we work on a new way. But it's clear, I would think, especially since uh, Peter eventually agreed, that having as your internal model of reality, map reality, is generally probably going to be a good thing if not the best thing when you're making decisions. Now it could be, could be. That if we had a perfectly accurate map of reality, we might find that the best thing we could ever do is just off ourselves. (laughs) I don't think that's the case of reality. And I don't think that if we were ever to get close enough to a perfect map of reality that this is likely. But, as I mentioned, we're living in a world where we deal with probabilities, where we're dealing with consequences of actions and how they affect us. All the calls today have been related. And they've all been related to lame rationalizations. Mm
2: -hmm. They always
1: are. <laughs> except, maybe, ex- except maybe this one? We'll one. Except see. maybe this one. Okay. Hey, Bella and Tyler, how you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? We're doing pretty well. What have you got for us? You're on the air.
0: Okay. Well, um, first of all, I do want to state that I am a Christian. I do believe in God. I believe in hell and heaven and all that stuff. Um, and I am dating an atheist. Uh, we do get along as far as uh, everything else, but that's the only uh, reason we have an argument is because of um, you know what we believe and what we don't believe.
1: Oh, there'll be other arguments, I promise. <laughs> but, but but it's okay. None of them have, even the ones over religion, don't have to necessarily uh, be detrimental to a relationship. But you you had a specific question?
0: Yes, um, I understand that some things aren't explained and not tangible. You can't touch them and things like that, but. What about um, you know people who believe in God and their personal experience that they've had? Like uh, I know a coworker where he was in a coma and in that coma he can actually he was actually floating above the room and he could see everything where they where people were sitting and things like that. So
1: how do you really explain that if if you know if you guys I know you guys don't believe in afterlife or God or anything like that? So first of all, let's say we had no explanation at all. Okay. What does that mean? Um, that it's not explainable. Well, not that, not that it's not explainable. There may be an explanation. It just means we don't have one. And the people who are saying that this purported phenomenon has an explanation that can only be answered by a soul in an afterlife, how did they reach that conclusion?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm not sure.
1: I don't know. I don't, I don't either. But what we do know is, first of all... Uh, There have been lots of tests done. I I read something about a study the other day with a bunch of doctors testing uh, near-death experiences, and they've come to the conclusion that there's something to this. And while I haven't seen their full study, um, I'm going to go ahead and make a prediction that their methodology is going to be found to be flawed. And there are a number of reasons that I'm comfortable making that prediction. Number one, we know the way memory works. And... We know that false memories can be introduced. And we also know, I'm sorry, that we are out of time. Holy crap. They're oh, just, no. They popped up the credits. Hang on, Bella, and we'll talk to you more after the show ends uh, instead of just hanging up on you. So I'm going to put you on hold for just a moment. Uh, wow, thanks, uh, everybody. And yeah, that's crap, time. we've run out of time. an interesting topic. We'll see you next week. Yep.